Hi, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Wanae Cook, and I am very excited to kick off a series that I am doing with strategists, the first of which is Genevieve Asensio. She is a VP at Golan, and I am thrilled to share our conversation with you. So a little bit about the podcast, if this is your first time listening. I aim to explore the behind the scenes of final products. That is what BTS stands for. It stands for behind the scenes. And if you subscribed or are listening to this because you thought it was about the K-pop band, my apologies. However, if you know someone at BTS, please let me know. I would love nothing more than to have on one of their producers or a marketing manager or somebody from their team because I think they're great. And it would be very fun and very meta to do a BTS episode on BTS. Anyhow, Genevieve and my conversation is kicking off conversations I'm having with strategists. If you've been listening to this for a while, you may have noticed that I have had people across multiple functions of the music industry and of similar functions as well. And the reason I do this is because I think it is important to share the variety of ways that people find success deal with obstacles, find mentorship, and just a variety of ways of problem solving. There is not one way to succeed in any industry, except for hopefully be good at what you do and also be a decent person. I think that's uh, probably what we should all be asking ourselves all the time. Genevieve and I have known each other for a while. I was lucky enough to meet her through Cherry Sapia. Shout out to Cherry. I appreciate you for the introduction. They were both at Factory PR a few years ago when Avery D'Alessandro and I were doing a podcast called The Vault that explored the behind the scenes of the fashion industry. She was a guest on that podcast and I am thrilled to have her on this podcast and talk to her about her new role, what she learned at her previous role, and how her life has been since folding in the responsibility of motherhood onto her normal just job responsibilities. It's a lot. She's exceptional. And before we jump in, I want to do what all good podcast hosts do. If you like the content of this podcast and specifically this episode or any of the episodes that focus on creativity and innovation in the marketing and digital and media spaces, you may also enjoy my newsletter called Ask a Millennial. It focuses on um, just sort of questions that people ask me as a millennial, but it also spans to Gen Z and my recommendations and highlights of who is doing great content marketing, who's doing excellent strategy, content creation, and really interesting partnerships across the digital landscape, and as well as just like fun things. Sometimes I get asked questions that some people don't know the answers to. I've found that students and executives both benefit greatly from this, and that's why I hear from them most. Um, so if you enjoy that kind of thing, do reach out. It's like a similar format kind of to Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday, except for I do it much less frequently. So you'll probably get one or two a month. It's not a ton, but it is enough, and it is very meaty when it does come out. You can also support this podcast by using any of the following services, which I highly recommend and would not recommend if I didn't use myself. Those include Soothe, which is an in-home massage app. I'm a huge fan. You can get massages wherever you're at, in your apartment, in your hotel room, just wherever. They do deep tissue, Swedish, sport massage, um, and prenatal. You can also book a couple's massage if you're into that. I'm a huge fan. I have their subscription, and when you use my promo code, which is LZLRZ, you will save, and I will save, which I would greatly appreciate. 
The other two services I'm a huge fan of are Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight allows you to book incredible hotels at excellent rates in a variety of cities around the world. I've used them for years and I think I'm like a level six or something in their point system, which means that on top of the in-app concierge, I also get additional discounts at various hotels. You can use LCOOK61 at checkout to save on that and help me save. And the last one is Breather Rooms. Um, I've used Breather Rooms for a while, especially when Avery and I were doing the vault. They are great for podcast recording, conference calls, meetings, offsites, whatever you need. They're in most major cities across the US and you can rent rooms by the hour or by the day. And I think that that is it for the plugs. Enjoy this episode and please do share any of the highlights that you love, any additional questions you have for Genevieve. I would love to hear from you. Um, Sometimes when you make a podcast, it can be a bit of a vacuum of communication. I can see that there are hundreds of people listening, which I appreciate. But then when you only hear from a few here and there, it's, you know, you just don't know how people are feeling about it. And I would love to know how people are feeling about the podcast. So please do subscribe, rate, review, tweet at me, whatever works for you. Thanks again for listening and enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am super excited to be here in New York with Genevieve Asensio. Uh, Hi, Genevieve. Hello. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I'm excited, too. And if you hear some, like, little uh, gurgling sounds, it's It's because... It's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's her very cute... um, What? Oh, my gosh. French bulldog. French bulldog. um, Who just wants some cuddles. And is so needy. Um, So, Genevieve is a VP at Golan. Yes. And she is also an adjunct professor at Fashion Institute of Technology. Correct. She's also the founder of T. Cherie. Yes. Is that the correct name for it? T. Cherie. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, what's terrible is that I have tried French. I've practiced it. And the only way that French people ever understand me is if what I'm doing to me feels like a bad impression of a French person. (laughs) (laughs) And then it makes me feel rude because I know that I can't actually do the accent and I'm just thinking of Pepe Le Pew. Oh my God. (laughs) His accent wasn't too bad. So I really struggle with French pronunciation in general. But um, yeah, and then you also are married and you have two daughters. Two daughters, two dogs. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, So let's start with uh, what's on your LinkedIn and we'll work our way down from there. Okay. Which is... um, I don't think I've been on my LinkedIn in a while. (laughs) Oh, I have read it thoroughly. It has been reading material for me over the last... uh, few weeks like just knowing that we were going to talk um let me know if you think I can improve it in any way oh sure (laughs) (laughs) I'll take another look um so as VP at Golan Mm -hmm. how would you define your define your job who um I my job is really unique so the way we're a PR company but with capabilities that um see very deeply into the creative space, Mm -hmm. uh, into analytics, reporting, insights, um, as well as events in some areas, uh, digital, social media. So we are PR at our core, but um, we are in a very quickly moving world 
and there are other capabilities that um, you kind of have to rely on to keep the needle moving. Totally. So I consider myself a steward of the business. I am account lead for Mountain Dew, which is a PepsiCo brand. And I think we're all familiar with its work. Yes. <laughs> Mountain Dew. Riding wild. Do the do. Do the do. And I consider myself a steward of the business, which means that everything and anything that happens on the account is my business. Mm-hmm. And it, it is it is in my interest to have a great relationship with my clients, which I do. They're fantastic. Some of the best people in the business that I've worked with. Uh, would say that with or without the microphone on. Um, So it's my job to make sure that we are billing appropriately, that we are spending our budget wisely, that the cadence of how we spend our budget gets us to the end of the year, that I'm not running out of money in October, that I'm not leaving money on the table December 15th, that -hmm. we have budget left over, um, that I'm staffing appropriately for the work that we have been tasked to do. So if I know I uh, have a big project coming down the pipeline in August, that if I need to staff up, that I'm flagging that ahead of time and making sure I'm reserving my talent um, for the moments where where I need them. Uh, And again, ensuring that I'm highlighting our capabilities to the client so that they know what we can do, um, but also serving as a mouthpiece for our, our creatives at the agency and making sure that their visions are being um, properly presented to the client. And when Mountain Dew comes to us with a brief, that we're answering properly mm-hmm. on the brief or we're fully answering the, the brief. So um, I'm kind of the person who I like to, to think that I have one foot uh, in the client building and then one foot in the Golan building. And I am the in- intermediary and having a deep understanding of how both of the companies work uh, so that the, we can get the best result. Oh, it was great. So it's, it, it's, <laughs> it's not easy to explain because it's kind of like being the, the conductor of a really beautiful symphony, making sure that everybody is doing what they need to do at the right times um, Mm -hmm. and sometimes stepping down and playing an instrument when it's necessary. Right. And you're back. So we met actually when you were um, in a previous role at a different company Mm -hmm. and that was when Avery and I were doing the vault and you were a guest on there, which was, is still one of my favorite episodes. And my first podcast. Really? Oh, have you been on more since? Uh, Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. That's awesome. That makes me happy. I think I got the bug after that. I was like, podcast? I'll do it. (laughs) You're like, I don't have to go back and edit and and rephrase this and figure out where to post it. Someone else just puts it out in audio form. Um, And your background is heavily in strategy because I think when we, I think perhaps either right before we met or right after you were promoted um, to VP at that company, I think VP of digital, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Um, And just from our conversations, I know that you have a heavy strategy background. And so I would like to know, um, because you've worn so many hats, like what strategy means to you and, um, and perhaps how that's shifted over the last few years. Hmm. Good question. So strategy to me, I think the best way 
to explain it or the way that I have seen strategy developing in my career is um, not just thinking how to get from point A to point B, but what are all of the things that need to happen between those two points? Um, it, it's not always about the quickest way to get there, but are there things along the way that we need to pick up? Mm-hmm. Are there things along the way that people along the way that we need to bring with us um, and thinking about the journey. So not just, hey, we're getting to point A to point B, but what's our experience in, in getting in between those two points? Um, and I think, especially in my role at Golan, it's been about being able to weave a thread between all of the essential pieces of a program. So for example, you know, you hear people say, oh, it's a 360 program or an omni-channel, you know, and, and it's, it's so true. So mm-hmm. for me, a strategy is forward thinking to all of the different spokes in the wheel. Um, so for a PR campaign, um, what are, what are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. And the, have you ever seen the meme where it's like, what is it that you want out of life? And then say no to everything that isn't that. That's, no, I haven't, but I want it as my phone background. It, it, I mean, it's a it's a great <laughs> life strategy, but I think it, it also is um, a pretty simple way to ex- explain how strategies should run. So for a PR strategy, it's very like, um, what are your key messages? What are the things you're trying to achieve? And if uh, an outlet doesn't align with the things that you're trying to achieve maybe not say no, but they are not tier one importance. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of building that parameter of what what your core um, mandatories are for your program. That makes a lot of sense. And I think um, especially, you know, again, back to your background, your, I imagine that your bachelor's in economics has probably Mm -hmm. helped you with that thinking a lot. Um, just in terms of understanding the business side of things. Because uh, I think when you are coming to strategy or advertising or PR in general, and your background is specifically in that, you're thinking within like what you can do to get the most of whatever your goals are as a PR person or as a marketing person. Mm -hmm. But with an economics background, that requires the thinking of a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Because... an economics like major, you have to consider all of these pieces that create an economy. Um, yeah, I would say that my economics degree didn't necessarily prepare me or give me business acumen. Really, I think it made me a more critical thinker. Mm-hmm. It made me question every stat I've ever heard, every fact I've ever heard. It. I approach things differently. It's mm-hmm. changed my approach. Um, I appreciate my education uh, in economics. Mm-hmm. However, it is not the same as having gotten financial training, mm. which I mm-hmm. had to learn along the way. Really? And as a, I know this is veering a little bit off of no, the question, fine. but as a woman, I heard someone give a talk once and they said that um, they had three CEOs, three male CEOs on a panel and they were saying, you know, what advice would you give to women who were trying to 
rise in the ranks and potentially join the C-suite or become the CEO of a company. And uh, they gave, you know, very varying advice. And the panel, the moderator said, "What? Why didn't you say, um, you know, financial acumen or, you know, knowing your way around, you know, the business world?" Mm-hmm. And they said, "Well, that's a given. That's." 100% a given, and she asked the audience and said, how many of you thought that was the first thing on the list? And none of them raised their hands. So men are having this conversation that it is important for you to understand the business world and have a financial literacy mm-hmm. in order to rise in the ranks and become a CEO or CFO. Or, um, But women are were strategists super smart, great at, at negotiations and, and studies have shown that we are better workers and um, we're better managers and we do so many things better than men, but out of the skill set that's essential for becoming rising the ranks at a, at a large corporation, yeah, business acumen is one of the number one things. And I have to say that's one of the skills that Golan has made a non-negotiable. I've had to um, make it a priority, mm-hmm. um, not only for um, my business, but for my growth at the company. Mm-hmm. And now I've added that on as a filter. So not only am I thinking about things critically, but I'm also adding that layer of profitability and um, thinking about things from a, from the business perspective, which... Makes me feel pretty badass. Well, that is badass. Yeah. What are some of the things that you wish, um, well, I guess what are some of the things within that that you've learned since joining Golan and um, and how did you learn them? Yeah. So I've been afforded access to some pretty cool people at Golan. Um, leadership is relatively um, generous with their time and information and because we're uh, part of a larger um, set of agencies, we often have, whether they be seminars, day seminars, um, that we can, we can partake in. Um, so that's been really, that's been really helpful. Uh, I think knowing, uh, what sort of questions to ask, going the extra mile to, do the research, read the stuff that you think might be boring, and knowing what the overall company goals are Mm -hmm. and realizing that they are not the company's goals alone. The company's goals are your goals. So finding that sweet spot between what your clients want to do and what they need to achieve and what the company needs to achieve, your company needs to achieve, and finding the sweet spot between those two so that you are... um, delivering on both of those mm-hmm. I think that's when it shifted for me mm-hmm. is when I realized that you know what like our parent company is IPG and when IPG uh, stocks are up or down or like what are what are we reporting for the quarter mm-hmm. tuning in to those um, to those calls to hear how the company is doing because that's going to affect how Golan is doing and that's going to affect um, how we Hire how the decisions that we make. So, um, taking that on and understanding a bigger piece of the business and not just my piece of the business has been really essential. That's really interesting. And um, 
I was listening to, uh, have you ever heard of Innovation Crush, Crush, Chris Denson's podcast? No. It's really great. He has just a wide variety of people on who do innovative things. And he had, uh, I think her name is Rochelle Parhan. She is the, oh my goodness, CMO, I can't remember CMO of what company, but she's also on the board for um, Scripps and Best Buy and several other companies. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about, and I thought this was really interesting, about how being on a board totally shifted what she did, what she does as a CMO in reporting to a board. And so what are some of the things that like, as you grew from a, you know, manager to director to now a VP, what are some of the things that, um, you wish that like the people who are looking to rise up and like, I imagine people are reporting to you now, right. And showing you quarterly reports, annual reports, et cetera. What are some of the things that, um, like the wisdom that you would impart to them on how they can show up to those meetings better and uh, tell a better story with reporting? Yeah, I think it would just be exactly that. Um, Know what the person that you're meeting with, what is important to them, Mm -hmm. and um, what are they trying to achieve, and how can you help them achieve that thing Mm -hmm. or those things. I find that lots of times when... Uh, junior people or people who are looking to rise in the ranks reach up for a meeting to with a with someone who's more senior a couple of ranks higher than they are they oftentimes go with an agenda and the the agenda is theirs alone Mm -hmm. Um, how can you help me do this how can you help me um, meet this person can you help me solve this problem and I think it should be a mix it needs to be Uh, This is what's happening for me. This is how I'm contributing to the company. This is where I think that I could contribute more and I need your help to open a specific door to do that. Mm -hmm. And also, I noticed that you're working on X, Y, and Z. How can I support you in that? I think that's such a cool initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where you get that symbiotic relationship where there's a little bit of give and a little bit of take and it shows that you're you're paying attention and it is the world you don't think the world revolves around you and that you are a team player and um you're looking to support initiatives that are larger than you that's awesome that's super helpful thank you um speaking of mentors uh how have you gone about uh getting mentors throughout your career uh maintaining relationships with them and then how do you go about mentoring Hmm. this is always a good one huh I think mentoring for me has always been about identifying that person that one, a mentor has to be somebody that I want to spend time with. Um, That magnetic energy, that's kind of what I look for. Someone, not just who I I think um, I'd like to emulate. That's kind of where I started off when when I was looking for mentors, but it's evolved to... Who's the person that does that thing that I don't know how to do, I don't think is important to me, but they seem to be so jazzed by it. And I'm talking about financial stuff, right? So (laughs) at Golan, one of my mentors was our regional finance director. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my manager suggested it, I was kind of like, I don't want him to be my mentor. Like, I don't, I'm not excited by talking about, you know, financial stuff and looking at spreadsheets for an hour once a week or every other week and 
that's when I knew that that's who it needed to be because I mm-hmm. needed to grow in that area. So mentorship isn't necessarily someone who's going to um, talk to you about the things that you want to know, mm-hmm. um, but might be able to teach you uh, in some of might be able to teach you things that you need to learn, but may not necessarily want to learn. Um, so mentorship is not, it's good to have a mentor in your company, a mentor outside of your company so that you can get that objective perspective, um, that you can go to, to problem solve in a way that you cannot, um, ask someone in your company to help you problem solve Mm -hmm. and sometimes it needs to be someone who can just tell you like it is and say you know what that was probably not the best approach at this and you were wrong and not have that um be an issue and sometimes within a company um that sometimes doesn't land or there are company cultures that don't invite that kind of conversation or there's a lot of flowery language around it yeah there needs to be someone who you feel Uh, You can be coached by. You have to be willing to be coached. At least for me, that was a big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I would show up to to mentorship sessions and just be like, I'm just going to show you how smart I am and how much I've learned and that your time investment is really uh, worth worth what you're spending. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not always about that. It's about bringing a level of vulnerability to the the conversation, um, a level of openness. And coachability like I said being being coachable being um almost having that thirst to find ways that you were wrong because if you never find ways that you're wrong then you'll never improve and you're you'll never grow I love that that can be a difficult lesson and I'm always impressed by people who I've known for a long time who have just always been open to being wrong not me me either not me (laughs) Capricorn, hard-headed from the time I was young, Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing it in my daughter now, yay. (laughs) Really? Is she a Capricorn? She's a Capricorn. Oh, lucky. I'm a bull, so I understand the, you know, the horned signs Mm -hmm. were a a tricky one. And being wrong was a sign of, to me, I would take it as, oh, that, that means I'm not smart. Same. That means I'm not smart. That means someone else is smarter than me, and there would be this deep level of shame that Mm -hmm. came with being wrong. And not to say that I don't feel it as much, but I practice something else. I practice being open and listening to the possibility that maybe I am yeah. not right in this instance. And it is just a reality of the moment, but it's not a reflection of who I am. And it's an opportunity to learn versus um, saying something negative about myself. Totally. I love that. Speaking of being wrong, one mm. thing... <laughs> One thing that I really appreciate is I had a uh, director at a previous role, Harmony. She's incredible. And one thing she taught me, because I I started, my dad's always taken this approach of like, oh, well, there's always something to be learned from failure, yeah. which I agree. And I think it's also important that we look at our successes and learn from those and don't just go like, well, that means I'm always right. Like we should look back at failure and success and be able to go, okay, here's what made this a success and Mm -hmm. all the like small things that fed into it. And here's what I could even improve on next time. And then also from failures and go like, okay, how did this fall apart? Mm -hmm. Um, And to just sort of postmortem everything. Yeah. Um, When, in working with your teams, you know, in digital, there's a lot of, um, a lot of times we know that we can win by innovation. However, that can be scary. Um, How, 
have you learned to communicate um, learning agendas that include sort of like a testing element? And how do you like those communicated with you? Because I imagine that's that's a difficult thing to talk to um, leadership about. And then it's also a difficult thing to talk to a client about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be difficult to receive, I assume, in a leadership position where other people are communicating that to you, but perhaps not either effectively or thoroughly. Those are all really good questions. Jeez. Oh, thank you. Um, Test and learn is a big part of strategy. It Mm -hmm. is a big part of the way that I like to do business because I I definitely like to try new things. Um, Sometimes it is not fun to think that you are the first because you're not sure if it's going to work out, Mm -hmm. but it's all about taking calculated risks. And the fun thing about digital is that you can often change direction midstream. This isn't working. Let's shut this one off. We're A-B testing. Let's shut this one off and keep this one running and then figure out how we want to run the next one and learn, learn from, um, learn from the test. You also don't have to put all your eggs in that one test. Mm -hmm. So if your program is, uh, maybe how I would sell it in and say, hey, we're going to run this program. 80% of it we are going to be able to control. We're going to know the outcomes, and they're going to be tried and true methods that we've done in the past. We're comfortable in this space. We will hit our KPI. But I have a feeling that with this 20%, we could really drive it over the top. And I'm not 100% confident in how it's going to work. I think this is how it's going to play out because, and this is these, this is the reasoning why I think it's going to work. But that's a fair mix, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when you when you um, do your stock por- portfolio, you want to be a little bit risky, a little bit safe, some moderate, some you know. You want to do the same thing with your strategy so you're not stagnant all the time. And mm-hmm. I and I hate to sound like you know giving company rhetoric, but our founder at Golan, Al Golan, who passed away two years ago, mm. one of his things was about innovating before. Um, if it, it wasn't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. It was fix it before it breaks. Mm-hmm. So innovate before it gets stale. Right. Um, so I think you have to keep that that percentage or that ratio of tried and true and new and uncertain but could potentially be really really good so it's the communication to the client needs to be i'm asking you to take a risk um we're still going to make our number we'll still make our program but here's why i think this risk is going to pay off yeah i love and that's how i like things presented to me too yeah hey i know this is a crazy idea but before you go saying no Listen to why I think it's going to work. Yeah. This is why I suspect we're going to be successful. And even if it tanks, one, it's not going to cost us that much money, or two, we can recover by doing X. Right. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, let's shift a little bit before we dive into more uh, personal life stuff. Um, you're an adjunct professor. Adjunct instructor. Adjunct instructor. Yeah. I've written that. Which, di- is, a, which is a big difference. I actually... Yeah, what is the difference? Well... A professor has gone and gotten their master's and done all this studying and is an educator. Mm. And I get hired. I've got hired at FIT. I think this is my fifth semester now. 
uh, over the course of maybe four years Mm -hmm. because I have real world experience and they value people who are in the field uh, to come and, and teach in the classroom so that the students can get a real-time sense of what uh, what the job is mm-hmm. and how the industry is. So uh, I don't call myself a professor Okay, I'm not. You did say instructor on your profile, yeah, and yeah. I wrote down instructor, it's, and then I read it, and I was like, no, surely she's a professor. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> I was corrected very uh, sternly once about that. By a professor? Yes, and I was like, you are absolutely right. Yes, I did not earn like, that title, so let's make not that distinction. Have student loan debt, so yeah, yeah, that's how yeah. I know I'm not a professor. Exactly. Uh, my dad's an adjunct professor, and it is a labor of love. I tell you. Oh, totally. Yeah, and so in those in those four years, um, I mean, you your background is largely in fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so at your previous role when we met, we met because I was doing a podcast with Avery called "Devol All About the Fashion Industry." Yep, and you were in PR and communications. And some of the brands, I love the list of brands that you work with because they really do span just like different areas of fashion, like from Macy's to um, Volcom. And then also at that role, you had like, I think Office Depot and Tinder, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I love. Um, how Real fashion. Yeah, very Office fashion. Depot. Very, very fashion. Um, so in that, how did you sort of transition out of fashion, did you feel like you needed to prove yourself uh, capable of things outside of fashion, or were people trusting off the bat? Um, just because I know sometimes um, people can just be very siloed in their thinking of what people can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm lucky enough that most brands love the allure of fashion and they love True. the sexiness and the sizzle that fashion brings. Mm -hmm. So understanding fashion is often seen as understanding culture. Mm -hmm. And if you understand culture, then you can surely add to any brand. Mm -hmm. For me, it was about having been in fashion. I was at factory PR for nine years. And prior to that, I was at another fashion boutique agency. So I felt like I had been solving the same ish problem over and over. Yeah. And quite frankly, I wanted to work on some larger budgets. Yeah. I had decent budgets at Factory, but, you know, I wanted to work for a large consumer brand Mm -hmm. and bring my ideas and and vision to um, a CPG brand. Which is so fun. And I didn't... It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I didn't think it would be a brand like Mountain Dew. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first heard, I was like, oh, maybe I'll consider it and then the more we talked about the role I was kind of like uh I think this was kind of made for me yeah Um, so I think it was easier to make the switch from fashion to CPG because there are so many there are so many reasons to bring someone over who understands style and culture and trend Mm -hmm. and whereas sometimes you might have to do a little bit of a harder sell um for someone who might go from soup to wanting to work at a fashion company. Well, especially soup. You know, soup. <laughs> I don't know why that was the first I thing that came to I don't know why either. Soup. Campbell's. <laughs> See, notice how I didn't say a brand. I was like, I don't want to poo-poo a brand. Well, no, but, it's just, you know, yeah, something that true. might be as, you know. Just a little bit more traditional. Non-complex. Yeah. You know. And, and different. To, that, that was always what was so interesting to me about working on CPG brands was like, 
oh, there's no sales to measure, really, because, like, no one's buying. I mean, I guess people do buy Mountain Dew online, but that's not, like, you know what I mean? It's, oh, yeah, it's a different. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Whereas, like, I worked on a tortilla chip brand, and it was like, no one's ordering tortilla chips online. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> and same with Starbucks, where yeah. it was like, yeah, we're not really sometimes on occasion, like with, uh, you know, your mugs app ordering. And I mean, people do their app ordering so yeah, much now. Yeah, now, for sure. That was like a new thing when mm-hmm. I was there. Um, and so then, do you, is all the teaching you do at FIT specifically around fashion, or is it much more general sort of marketing PR? Um, I try to bring my experience into the class. So I rely, of course, on my nearly, you know, over a decade of experience at, in fashion, but I mm-hmm. bring my day-to-day into the classroom as well. So heavily on fashion, but I like to give a well-rounded um, perspective of, of PR. Mm-hmm. Um, the class that I teach is called Principles of PR. So it's PR 101. We do everything from learning how the field of PR came about to um, the ethics of PR and how law comes into play. And we do case studies. We talk about integrated marketing. It's so fun. Yeah, it is. I've had a great time doing it. I actually did a lecture yesterday, and I like to save a special lecture for the end of the class where it's like a – it's more of a – like a pep talk than Uh anything. Like, all right, we're coming to the end of the class. Your final is next week. But here are the pieces of these little gems and and some wisdom that I've picked up along the way that I think is going to be helpful to you guys as you embark on, you know, the next year or your final year in school. And Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be asking you, what are you doing next? Have you figured it out? What are you going to spend your time doing? How are you going to make money? And uh, remembering to honor your passions and... Uh, know that people are going to say no to you and those no's oftentimes come from a place of their own failures and their Mm -hmm. own insecurities and that sometimes you kind of have to push through it and don't allow people to dim your light and I honestly want to it's almost as if I say it for myself because you kind of need to remind yourself um, of that message from time to time Mm -hmm. And I think especially students, because we forget that in all of this educating and teaching and testing that they are ambitious, curious, uh, probably scared. Like I was scared when I was yeah. graduating from school, sometimes arrogant where you're for, you're like, oh, I'm going to come out and I'm going to make so much money and it's going to be great. It's going to be easy. I already know what I'm doing. And, you know, reminding, reminding them to slow down and enjoy the process and know that it is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like you're not the first generation to come out and not get a job right away. And mom's going to nag you. Dad's going to nag you. But it's going to be fine and yeah. finding a, a way to express your, your passion and what you love doing and collaboration, um, is, is cool too. Definitely. I love that. And I, I do think it's a good reminder to us all. And one thing now that I've been out of school for like six or so years and I'm in like the big brother, big sister program. One thing I realized is like, oh, adults just don't know what else to ask. Like maybe they are pressuring you, but like, I think yeah. most adults also just are so removed from the life of a teenager Mm -hmm. to like a early 20s person in college that and especially your parents like if you were ever rude or embarrassed of your parents or anything like that like your parents don't know what an okay topic is yeah 
And sometimes they're not and pressuring still don't. you. Yeah, and still don't. Right? Like two adults get together and what do we do? How's work? How's your job? Right. How's how's uh you know all the <laughs> all the things like, that you have to do? Yeah, so totally. You know, with a kid that sometimes you may not feel so distant from. What do you want to be when you grow up? Or like, how are right. the interviews going? Versus, hey, what are you really excited about right now? Totally. Or, you know, if you could control everything in the next six months, how would you see the next six months going? Right. Like, those are the kind of questions that I think if someone asked me, I'd be like, oh my God, I don't even know. Right. But it opens up a conversation in a different right. way. Assuming your parents can have that kind of conversation with you. But I, I have... Some people I've talked to where they're super stressed out about people asking them that question. And I'm like, oh, don't get upset with them. They just literally don't know what else to say. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. You can live. And you're a part of this conversation, too. You don't owe anyone an answer. Right. This is not. That's true. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can change the subject or you can just flip it on them and go, like, what are you going to do when you retire? Have you thought about that? Right. You know? Or, you know what? <laughs> I, I think finding a couple of formulaic answers that work for you in those instances right fun too totally like just deciding on your audience sometimes I would have like a snarky answer back yes. or sometimes I have a, uh, an answer that uh, kind of points the finger at them for asking such a question like yeah you know I've been giving that a lot of thought but I'm curious what did you when you were my age what did you want to do with the rest <laughs> of and are you doing the same thing that you thought you were going to do a natural strategist a conversational right. strategist. I love that. A conversational strategist. <laughs> Adding that to LinkedIn profile. By all means. Um, so then let's switch gears to the personal stuff. So you have a yeah. lot going on. Yes. Um, Currently you, have my dog in my lap. Right. She's being so needy. One of 12 hats to be worn. Um, yeah, her dog, dog is also her. leaning up on her like a child and looking <laughs> at her adoringly. So it's very lovely. Um, so... How have you, because you've been in a relationship for how many years? Uh, depends on who you ask. <laughs> but Yave and I, have, we met in 2009. Okay. And uh, we started dating pretty immediately after we met. Uh-huh. And then it was a little bit of on and off and on and off because neither one of us wanted to admit how in love we were with the other. Uh-huh. And that was, I mean, we're in 2019, so. Ten years. Ten years. Um, how have you, well, I guess not, maybe how, and then also what have you learned in growing a relationship while also growing your career? Hmm. Yave makes it really easy for me because he's really ambitious Mm -hmm. and we really do function as a team when it comes to career. So luckily... Most of the time when my career is super demanding, um, he has been able to pick up a little bit more slack. And when his career is really demanding, I have the ability to pick up a little bit more slack. But what I've learned is uh, truly being respectful of someone else's ambitions Mm -hmm. um, is oftentimes an act of love. And it's not always easy, but um, watching Yave grow is important to me and important to our relationship and the same for him. Mm-hmm. So, and it requires a strategy, right? So yeah. 
all of the decisions that I make are a result of a conversation that I've had with Yabe. I will come to him and say, "Here, here's how I see this playing out. What do you think? What are my blind spots? Help me decide. And then how does it impact our family? Mm-hmm. Um, and even before it was family, it was like, how does this impact us? Um, and that's been a pretty, that's been the playbook. And that's what works for us. That's awesome. Yeah. And then let's layer on the parenting oh, layer. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's when you have to, like, add another player to the mix, which is my mom. And oh. she, oof, I, it just would not be possible without mom. Mm. She picks Maya up from daycare because who the heck is getting to daycare by 6 p.m.? It requires me to leave my desk at 4.40 to get on like a 503 train to get to my car by 5:30 to drive to the daycare with a reasonable amount of time, you know, and to pick her up and it's not like 5:59. Um so having her help makes a tremendous difference and I realize not everybody has that kind of support. Um it requires giving up a little bit of sleep sometimes. Um getting up earlier to do things while she's still sleeping. Or one in the past, I would come home and immediately open my laptop and, and plug away and get to work and eat while I'm while I have my laptop open. And now it's more I come home, I put my phone down, my laptop stays in my bag, I play with Maya, feed her. Um, if my stepdaughter is over, we're doing homework, we're catching up about what's going on in school. And then after I've connected with my family, now it's time, okay, let me, if I have a couple more emails to shoot off, then I'll open my laptop again. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And then how, does he have like a similar approach with his work? Yeah, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically do work like right where you're, even though I have an, an office upstairs, I typically work at the table where we're sitting in the dining room. Mm-hmm. But Yave is very much like, I'm going down to my man cave. I'm going into my office downstairs because you people are so loud. There's so much going on. <laughs> the dogs and Maya and everybody's talking. Um, but yeah, he's he is a... I don't even know how he does it, honestly. He's always on. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always thinking. He's always emailing. He works in sales. So... Mm-hmm. That is one of those jobs that the harder you work, the the better the result most yeah, of the time. Very communication intensive. For sure. Um, but again, it's the, the strategy. What are some of like the, I like to call them like mental frameworks or I guess tools and stuff like that, that you've developed throughout your relationship and since having a baby and everything um, that have really shifted maybe the way that you do things or think about things and maybe some like, things that you wish you could have told yourself a few years ago? Hmm. Hmm. I would say deciding how important something is before investing time in it. Meaning just because an email has come through does not mean that I must respond to it right this second. So I scale, I put the email on a, on a scale. If it is on, it is a two on, an, on a scale of one to 10 importance, it can wait till tomorrow. If it is a seven or above, or the person who is emailing me is, you know, in a small list of VIP people that I must respond to, 
immediately, then I will do that. But those are the things that I think when I was younger or in my career or even younger in age, it felt, I felt important because I was getting emails all the time and they'd be like, oh, I can't. I'm at dinner. Hold on a second. I just need to check my Blackberry. Oh, my <laughs> boss. Oh, hold on a second. And now it's kind of like, I think the, the connection to people is very important, especially when I'm outside of the office. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you want to be able, you don't want to be the bottleneck that keeps business from happening. Of course. But knowing that uh, business will continue to happen with or without you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that important where it's going to stop if I'm not involved. Right. Right. So having a little bit of humility and knowing that I have a great team they can get this. Like today's my day off. I have not looked at my email. Awesome team. Um, and knowing that you are not the most important cog in the wheel. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, General Colin Powell speak a couple of weeks ago. And he told this incredible story about some, I'm going to botch it up and get it wrong. But a battle, uh, a famous general who was told that uh, they had just lost a battle. And they'd lost uh, a general... Um, or some sort of army officer and a hundred horses, ten generals and a and a hundred horses, or ten soldiers and a hundred horses. And he goes, "Oh man, it's going to be tough to replace a hundred horses." And everyone was kind of like, "Well, what about the what about the soldiers?" And he's like, "Well, I could make a soldier in ten minutes." But the mm-hmm. horses, how am I going to replace ten horses? And it's not to say you know the human life to animal of life course. sort of thing, but remembering that you are the, the your team and the people who work with you the hundred horses they are the true power the people who you manage they're the ones that keep the wheel spinning mm-hmm. so without you they can continue to do their jobs so i think being humbled and knowing that just because i don't respond to that email doesn't mean one i don't care doesn't mean i don't do my job well but um it means that i'm focused on my personal time and my family um, and the job will continue to get done if I've done a good job as a leader. Yeah. And one thing that comes to mind, and I've told this to people before, is that um, if a larger organization like is fails without you there, there's a larger problem yeah. at hand. You know, oh, like time. no one person should be that integral to like a company conducting business. And when somebody reaches out to you about something, especially something that could have been handled before, you know, 5 p.m. or before your day off. Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, respectively, it's like, depending on where you live and whatever your job is, like before end of business for whatever is typical. Yeah. Let that be a lesson to that person that they should have done it earlier. I know that I had to learn not to procrastinate that way from sending an email because I hadn't managed my time properly and I was in the office till 7 p.m., and, like, there was an email I knew I should have sent all day, and it wasn't until 6 p.m. that I sent it, and I needed it for something in the morning. Well, it's my fault for not communicating that earlier, yeah. you know, to somebody, because it's not other people's jobs to go home. And, and obviously, perhaps it's a little bit different when you're in a leadership role, you know, where it's, like, maybe there's some things that you're, like, okay. But I, I remember working with somebody who sent me a text at, like, 845. Mm-hmm. Well, I keep my phone on do not disturb from 4 p.m. every day until noon the next day. And a lot of times if I have stuff, like if I need to be heads down on something, I put my phone on airplane mode. Yeah. 
Because the way I see it is that it's my phone. And if there's an actual real life emergency, you should call 911, not me. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, yes. And we're not brain surgeons. You know what I mean? Nobody's literally dying because of us. And if a tweet went out and it, it didn't work, like, I am like, yeah, I'm sorry that, like, you know, something happened yeah. or, like, there's something that needs to get deleted because the off-site community management team didn't do something. But, like, why is there not another thing in place that I'm the only person who has the keys to that, you yeah. know? And, yeah. like, and it's the internet. It's not, I mean, yeah, it's a big deal. But for the most part, like, neither of us are in the position of, like, communicating major news. Right. You know, like. Not Sarah Huckabee. You know. Thank God. <laughs> right. Is there a sound for eye rolling? Uh, we should have a sound. That was it. Just the silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this has been incredibly awesome. Um, and as you know, the last question is, what would you like to hear a future behind-the-scenes episode on? Hmm. A future behind-the-scenes episode. Oh, and I did forget to ask you one question, if you want to keep that in the back of your head. Some recommended reading because you've taken on so many, like between business acumen and your growth in the strategy world and I imagine negotiating and everything. Like what are some of your, whether it's books, newsletters, whatever, some of your must-haves are. So I am obsessed with Brene Brown right now. (laughs) Yes. And I love, this is an oldie but a goodie, but uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm -hmm. Um, I am currently reading uh never split the difference okay which i find a fascinating book on negotiation okay and it's one of the things that i would like to get better at and i think every communication is an opportunity to negotiate whether it be i hope my husband doesn't listen to this because i don't want him reading the book because you know uh locking horns at home i know i know uh, he's a damn good negotiator. Probably why I'm reading the book. Like, reason number one. Right. You're like, I Negotiate so with my husband. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot about negotiation from him. But within the workplace, mm-hmm. right, so that people are walking away, both parties are walking away from a table, whether it's um, someone who reports to me, someone who I report to, a client, a vendor, that people are walking away from, from the communication feeling like they were heard and they... Um, got what they needed out of it but also I got what I needed out of it right because there's a way to do both yeah yeah win-wins are are awesome um I think those are the two that I would that I would put at the top of my list now I also read um Becoming by Michelle Obama and god that woman I mean she's just yeah there were so many great examples and she was so vulnerable in the book which I appreciated um I, I love her, so. Who wouldn't? Three. Three She's amazing. That's awesome. Thank you. Now we can go back to the behind-the-scenes question. Future behind-the-scenes questions. I mean, I'm kind of really, I would love to hear from, uh, like, a, a negotiator or someone who negotiates for a living or perhaps, um, I'd love to hear more about people's failures. Mm-hmm. And what they've learned, like the ugly side of failure yes. and what you learn learn from it. Yeah. Because um, people are very generous with stories of success, which is awesome and they're inspiring. But 
I also think that there's something inspiring to learn um, from people's failures. Agreed. Do you have any that you'd be willing to share? <sighs> hmm. If yeah, not, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Actually, I... Um, I was fired from a job. Really? Yeah. I was fired from a job in between my first PR job where I stayed for nearly four years and uh, when I went to factory and mm -hmm. I was out of work for four months and I was just so shocked by it mm -hmm. and so about my own agenda in the position mm. and really thought I had it all figured out and I knew it all versus listening and being a part of a larger team that I was completely blindsided when I was let go. Um, and it's something that I didn't share for a long time because I was just so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned to have a bit more humility about it, about mm -hmm. um, being part of a team and listening and um, being able to sell in my vision yeah. for something. So being an employee, I, I thought, oh, I'm going, I'm the, I am the PR director. So that means I'm going to direct the PR. And that's just, you know, I don't have to answer to sales. I don't need to answer to anybody because I am the PR director. Right. And that's not really how it works. And you have to get people on board and get them excited about what you want to do and make sure that what your vision is aligns with the business goals, the brand's um the brand's DNA, mm -hmm. um, your retailer's goals, um, and that you are a, being a part of a larger initiative and not just driving your own agenda, which is kind of what I was doing. And it took a long time for me to realize what happened. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God, well, I was thought I was good. So right. I took that to be, oh, I, I'm, I'm not good at my job. You know, I was good in this very small agency, but then when I was out on my own, I didn't know how to do it. Um, and that wasn't necessarily the truth. It was just that I approached the job with a lot of arrogance. And um, I learned not to carry that arrogance with me. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so, negotiators. Negotiators. And failures. And failures. My kind of party. Yeah, yeah. Let's negotiate <laughs> these failures. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I am now. I will want to like research because obviously we all know about hostage negotiators, but you know I'm so interested, which is fascinating. Yeah. However, probably very yeah. brief lessons to learn. That's so. <laughs> that's actually so funny that you say that because the book um, never split the difference. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. Really. Um, and he has a lot to say about how the skills, because hostage, hostage negotiation, and I'm not the greatest person to talk about this book because I'm a just like a, a third of the way through it. Well, the greatest person I've had on the podcast to talk about the book. So but, by all means. <laughs> but he says that it's about, uh, emotional intelligence versus having a formulaic way at approaching negotiation. Right. So it's not. Well, they're going to say A, and then I'm going to say B, and they're going to say C, and I'm going to say D, that um, he said that listening, what I've gotten so far from the book is that listening is one of the biggest parts of negotiation, mm -hmm. and making someone feel heard and understood is 
the one of the biggest tools that you can have when negotiating with someone, even someone who's who is um, holding someone hostage or right. has a gun. I imagine that in patience, because which to me, pa- listening properly is also an act of patience. Yeah, because you're really absorbing what that person has to say and not gearing up to say whatever it is that's on your mind yeah and and also giving something room to breathe um totally yeah that's what he says in the book too that's awesome um Um, he says that at any given time there are like five or six people on the phone listening to a negotiation because each person is hearing differently and maybe could learn something that somebody else on the phone didn't catch so that's why they have so many people on the line when a negotiation is happening that's Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm already at a disadvantage. I've got two ears and I'm the only one. I'm the right. only person listening. Totally. I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really thank appreciate you. This it. This was so fun. I agree. Thank you for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Genevieve. Be sure to find her on Instagram at that Genevieve. You can also find the BTS Podcast socials across all social media handles, profiles, whatever you want to call them, platforms. At, at BTS the podcast, and you can find me at, at Lene Cook. The music on this podcast is made by Benjamin Betherum, and for those of you who listen all the way to the end, I appreciate you. I have on occasion been slotting in just random little pro tips, life hacks, what have you. One thing that I love to do is to listen to podcasts on one and a half times the speed. That doesn't work so well on comedy podcasts, but it is great for podcasts that I love, such as Econ Talk. Freakonomics, and NPR's Morning Edition. Thanks again for listening. Please do subscribe, rate, review. Let me know what you thought was valuable. It is always excellent to hear from listeners. Have a great day.